You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, I'm Pastor Danny, if you're new here, and we're just so glad you're with us today. And uh, I'm just pumped to see you guys today. It's been a great uh, week, and uh, so good to see you guys. So glad you're here. I want to say hello to our Famicolic campus. Would you give our Famicolic campus a big hand? Hey, guys. We love you guys at Fenwick Island. Thank you for joining us today, and great things are happening in that campus, and our Rehoboth campus is doing so well as well, and our online family. We're so grateful that you're online here watching us today from different places, your kitchen, your living room, uh, in the coffee shop, wherever you are. Thank you for watching us today. We're grateful for you being a part of this weekend's experience as well. So today, uh, we're going to do a standalone sermon, which that means is it's not a series, it's just a one deal. Uh, next week, Joel is going to be here. He's going to do a three-week series called In the Black, uh, talking about money and investments. And uh, I was telling everybody at our service planning meeting this morning that my son Joel, you know, he's MBA guy. He loves, you know, really good with spreadsheets and money and all that. He is just so good on money that Dave Ramsey calls him for, for advice. I mean, he's really, really good. So you want to make sure you're here next week, and it's going to be a really, really practical sermon series for you guys, and you're going to love it and uh, enjoy that. So today... Uh, I want to tackle, uh, you know, a, a book in the Old Testament. What I like to do is I really, I really like to teach the Bible because, you know, we tell people to read the Bible every year. In January, we give out the little Bible reading programs, and then, you know, then we preach about 2% of it, you know. And I want to make sure that we kind of go through the Bible so that you can understand what it's about, so when you have your devotions, it makes sense to you. And if you're a seeker this morning, you're not a person that follows Jesus, you're just kind of checking it out that you can read the Bible for yourself. And uh, we want to give you a little background for that. So we're going to read a little, uh, some parts of a little book in the Old Testament called the book of Haggai. Now, when you read the Old Testament... It starts out pretty good. You know, you got Genesis and the narrative stories and Abraham and all that. And you got Noah and all the exciting stuff. And then it kind of bogs down a little bit, you know, in Leviticus and all that. And then people kind of bail, you know, at some point. But uh, when you get toward the end of the Old Testament, the books get smaller. They get smaller toward the end of the Old Testament. And there's 12 books at the end of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. And the reason they're called the Minor Prophets is not because they weren't really good prophets. You know, they just had, you know, they were just learning. Uh, it, was, it was because they had shorter books. Isaiah, for instance, was a major prophet. He had 66 books. Jeremiah has a whole bunch. I don't remember how many he has. But those were big books. And when you get to the end of the Old Testament, you have these 12 books that are called Minor Prophets. And they're little books where uh, the prophets are speaking to the, either the nation of uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, or the northern kingdom, Israel. So uh, we get to this book today called Haggai, and it's called a post-exilic book. Now, what does that mean, post-exilic? That sounds like, you know, something that you need to talk to the doctor about. You know, I got post-exilic. You know, it's not that. Post-exilic is, it's the, these are prophets that spoke to people that came back from the exile. That means that, the, you know, the, the, what happened is the uh, children of Israel, the, the southern kingdom, and the 
northern kingdom, but particularly the southern kingdom, they kind of went astray, and uh, the Lord sent prophets to them to say, hey, you better get back on the ball, and you got to quit worshiping these idols. You were called to be consecrated to Yahweh, and they kept, they weren't listening, so God sent them into captivity. He sent the Babylonians, and for instance, the book of Habakkuk deals with that. The book of Habakkuk says, uh, hey, you know, why is God letting this wicked nation judge us, the, the, the nation of Babylon? By the way, when we say Babylon in the Old Testament, how many know where Babylon is? Babylon is Iraq, uh, ancient Iraq, Persia area, but it's Iraq. So when you think about Babylon, it's Iraq. So anyhow, the children of Israel went into captivity, and then after captivity, after 70 years, there was a new king by the name of Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great, great guy, and uh, he said, listen, we're going to let all the Jewish people go back to Judah and rebuild their temple if they want to go. Two million people, two million Jewish people were in Babylon at that point. Two million people, now Persia overtook them. Two million Jewish people. How many people went back? You can go back to the land and build the temple. How many people went back? 50,000 people. 50,000 people, a little less than 50,000 people, out of 2 million people. That's interesting to me because I think about, you know, after COVID was over, how many people came back to church? You ever thought about that? Studies say that 25% of people that started staying home at COVID have not returned to church yet. 25%. That's true across the board for almost any church in America right now. So when you think about, you know, the, uh, the, the, when Cyrus said you can go back to the land of Israel, 50,000 people said we're going to leave we're going to leave Persia, uh, prior, prior called Babylon. We're going to leave the hanging gardens. We're going to leave the wonderful cities. We're going to leave the wonderful stores. And we're going to go back to this little place that's all tore up from captivity. And we're going to go there and we're going to rebuild the temple. So 50,000 people go back. And here's the deal. They get all excited, all excited about going back to rebuild the temple. And these are the best of the best. These are the most spiritual people in, in all of Babylon. These are the best. These people are serious about serving God. And they go back and they, they first build, a, build an altar when they get back there. And they have the priests just in, dressed in robes. The priests are in the robes. They got people blowing trumpets. They build an altar and they make a sacrifice and they're all excited about building the temple back. And then they laid the foundation, and then it got hard. It got really, really hard because there was opposition from people around them. And the people around them went to the Persian government and tried to get them to shut down, and they were causing them problems. And so it got difficult. And so they quit building the temple. That's what the book of Haggai is about. They quit building the temple. Because it was just too, too hard. And let me read to you a little bit before we, you know, we're going to dive into some more of this stuff. And I'll give you some things that uh, maybe will be helpful, helpful to all of us this morning. Haggai, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the year of King Darius, King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the governor, uh, the governor of, that, that uh, is overseeing the land of Judah now. Uh, son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and this Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you to, yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? 
Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains in ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine, the olive oil and everything else on the ground produces on people, livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. In verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetil, Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and whole, the whole remnant of people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him and people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shetil, governor of Judah, the son of Joshua, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So the book is about this guy named Haggai. His name means festival. He was born during one of the Feasts of Israel, maybe Passover, maybe uh, Pentecost, maybe Feast of Tabernacles. And all those feasts would celebrate the great victories of the Lord in the past. And so he was, he was born in a time of party. He was a feast festival baby. And so he comes and he gives encouragement to the people to get back to building the temple. Now they had waited. Listen, they laid the foundation. They laid it all out. And it was 16 years they just quit building the temple. They quit. They quit because it got too hard. There were people that were giving them a hard time. There was legal problems, and, and they didn't have many, much money. And so they quit building the temple of the Lord because it was too hard. I was riding my bike the other day. I parked at the Lewis Library, and I got on my bike, and I'm riding down King's Highway, and I was going to do the, the Gordon Pond Trail. And you could take the bike trail, but that would take you back into Lewis. But I went over the bridge, and so I'm pedaling my Trek bike, and I get to the top. I mean, I'm trying to get to the top, and I'm like pedaling in slow motion because I've had that steep incline. And I finally reached the top, and when I reached the top, you start that incline, and you're just flying. You know, my hair was blowing in the wind. I was just <laughs> flying down there. But when, the, when these people came back to build the temple, you know, they were all excited in the beginning. They were excited about building the temple. They were excited about it, and then it got hard. It was like pedaling up that hill. It got so hard, and so they just quit. And for 16 years, they just let the the foundation of the temple will remain in ruins and there was weeds growing everywhere and they quit and they just gave up and what did they do they started putting their focus on their own houses and it says they began to build panels walls in their in their houses and what we know from the book of Ezra is the paneling the, the paneling that they were building their houses with came from Lebanon which was the where they got the the wood for the temple and they were using the material for the temple to build their own houses and so their focus shifted from God being the center of their lives to them being the center of their lives 
And they began to not put focus on the Lord's house anymore, but they put focus on their house. And they're trying to survive, and it's just too hard to do this. And so what they decided to do was, we're just going to build nice houses, and we're going to have a good time, and we're going to try to make money. We're going to try to be successful. And the more they tried to do that, the less they had. It's like God said, I, you, know, you make money and I just blow it out of your hands. And they had changed their focus from the Lord to their own personal agenda and their own personal interest. And they weren't being fulfilled. The more they tried, the more they worked, the less they had. And I think in our generation, one of the things I see is that I see that, you know, there's, it's very easy for us in our generation to begin to think, well, you know, we used to really be excited about the Lord. We used to be excited about the temple of the Lord. We used to be excited about all the things of the Lord. We, you know, we're like the priests. We had our robes on and we're blowing trumpets. We're really excited about the Lord. Then it got hard. Then you went through COVID. Then you went through some stuff with your kids. Then you went through some rough stuff and you begin to think, it's too hard to serve the Lord. And I'm just going to start having a good time. I'm going to start thinking about my house, and I'm start thinking about what, I, what, what can I do to make myself happy. I was taking a walk the other day, and I walk by this house when I take a walk, and it's a young family, and I can tell, you know, I can just kind of watch them. They built this new house, and then they built a, a garage, and then they built another garage, and they keep building more stuff on their property. They got a nice piece of property. Then I saw one day they had, they had uh, all-terrain vehicles. They got one all-terrain vehicle, then they got two, and they're just having a good time. And then I saw that they got a camper, then they got a camper, and then I rode by yesterday, or walking by yesterday, and they now have a boat. Now, there's nothing wrong with ATV. I would love for you to give me one for Christmas. <laughs> but I can see this young family with kids, and they're grabbing for stuff. They're trying to make themselves happy by building their own paneled houses. And you know, if the ATVs would have done it, they wouldn't need to buy the camper. And if the camper would have done it, they wouldn't have had to buy the boat. But they're just looking for something to try to make them happy. And their lives are all around their stuff. Their lives are all around what can make me happy, what can fill my heart up, what can fill me with joy. And they're building their own house while the house of the Lord lies in ruins. That's the book of Haggai. That's what he's saying. You got your focus away from what should be center in your life. And now because it got hard, because it got difficult, because it, it was just too hard to keep serving the Lord, it was too hard to keep tithing and reading your Bible, it was just too difficult that, you know, I'm just going to have a good time. And a lot of my friends, my dearest friends, I love all of my friends, I see all of us, we're all like running around trying to have a good time before we die. We're going to die soon, so we better have a good time as soon as we can. And I want you to know that the more we do that, the more we go after that, the more we put our focus on our paneled houses, the more empty we become. And if you read the book of Haggai, the first chapter, you know, they never were satisfied. They never had enough. There was something missing. When we put our paneled houses 
In place of God being first in our life, there will always be something missing. We can get a bigger house, we can get a bigger boat, we can get a bigger this, we can get a bigger that, and we can do all of this stuff, but there will always be something missing because we weren't designed to live around paneled houses. We were designed to put our focus around the temple of the Lord and to make Him the center of our life. So that's the important part of what Haggai's saying. Haggai's saying, listen, you've gotten way off track here. You've gotten way off track here. And I, I think about, you heard me tell this before about, you know, the Copernican revolution, you know, in the 13, 1400s, Nicholas Copernicus, a scientist, a Christian guy, by the way, Isaac Newton and Nicholas Copernicus, all those really smart people that we study their stuff in science when we were in college, all those people were Christians and followers of Jesus. Nicholas Copernicus said, listen, we got it all wrong. There was a guy named Ptolemy in the first century. He lived in the second century, actually. He said that the earth was the center of the universe. The earth was stationary, and the moon and the planets all went around the earth. And then this Polish scientist, Nicholas Copernicus, in the 1400s says, that's all wrong. The earth is not the center of the universe The sun is the center of the universe, and everything revolves around the sun. And he had it right. And when you think about your life, and when I think about my life, is my life, am I expecting God to revolve himself around me? Lord, I want to worship you occasionally. I want to come and seek you occasionally. I want to kind of like hang out with you every once in a while while I do my own thing. Am I living a geocentric life where I want the Lord to revolve around me? Or do I have my life where the Lord is the center of my life and my life revolves around the Lord? And this is the problem of the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai is they started out with their life revolving around the temple, worshiping the Lord. They're going to build the temple back. They were going to put the temple back in place, and they were going to worship the Lord. And then it got too hard, and so they took their eyes off the temple, and they made their house the center of their focus. Jesus said this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Christianity never works when it's an add-on. Christianity never works when it's something we add into our life. Christianity and Jesus must be the centerpiece of our life. You read about the apostles. They left everything. They left their boats. They left their businesses, and they began to follow Jesus. They were Jesus followers, and what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody that's constantly following Jesus. Not someone that comes to church every once in a while. Coming to church is really, really important, and I'm really big on that because I'm a pastor. But our lives need to revolve around the Lord. And my dad, when, when we, my family came to the Lord back when I was like 11, 12 years old, my dad, you know, we, we, were, we, were, we were pleasure seekers. We were looking for something. My dad, you know, he had a good job at DuPont's. He was a, you know, had a good job, and we had, we had boats. We got a boat, water skiing, boats. I mean, I remember riding that boat in Anacook River. Man, as a little kid, you know, I did have hair. Then it blew in the wind. It was wonderful. 
And then, you know, got tired of the boats. We got horses. We got quarter horses. You know, that we were going to ride on Sundays. We were going to take rides, and we, we would ride, and we got on our quarter horses, and we had a wonderful time, and I loved those horses. I just had such good memories from those horses. And then we got this, and then we got that, and it was like we were looking for something. We were building our paneled houses. We had all of our focus on our paneled houses. And there was something missing. And my dad, was every time he tried, it was like the Lord blew that thing, blew it out, and it didn't satisfy. Haggai says, you're unfulfilled. You're unfulfilled because you you are building your paneled houses while the house of God lies in ruin. That's That's the refrain in the book there. Haggai the prophet comes and he talks to Zerubbabel and he talks to, he talks to Joshua the, the high priest and he challenges them and they listen to what he says. They listen to what he says and they begin to rebuild the temple. They begin to, to reestablish the temple. And I think what happened was is it just, it just, they just got discouraged they just got discouraged. Let me ask you something here. Has anybody ever here, don't raise your hand, uh, but has anybody here ever gotten discouraged in your Christian life? Just say a big amen. That wasn't a very big amen. Well, I guess that maybe your guys are good. That's good. I'm glad, I'm glad for that. That's wonderful. This, I got the right sermon, but the wrong church. I'm telling you. <laughs> we get discouraged sometimes. And they just, they just, it was just easier to just do life. Let me tell you something. Now, I don't mean to be, I'm not negative at all. I just think it's so exciting. You know, what's happening is the Lord, you know, since COVID and, and everything that's happening across the church world, what's happening is we have the, we have the 50,000 coming out of the 2 million. We have the remnant coming back. We have the remnant of people and God's going to do something great in this remnant of people. You're a part of the remnant that God has brought back to establish his kingdom. And I think that, I don't know this, but I think that maybe God did some purging, did some weeding, to maybe bring back to his church people that are really serious about following him so that we can truly build the kingdom of God. Because our values need to be readjusted. Our values need to be that Jesus is the center of our life, that he's the most important thing in our life, that he is the person that we worship, that we think about. We think about how much he loves us, how much he cares about us, and we put all of our lives at his feet, not some of our lives at his feet. Matthew 13 Jesus told these parables, and here's, I love these, I love Matthew 13. Matthew 13 says, The kingdom of God is like a man that found a treasure in a field. He found something wonderful. He found this treasure in the field. And when he found the treasure, he sold everything he had to buy that treasure, to get the field so he could have the treasure. Now listen, God loves you. When, you, when God looks at you, I just read a great, I'm reading a book right now on uh, the, the, uh, the right side of the brain in Christianity. It's an interesting book. Uh, and it talks about where we find joy from. And it says that really how we find joy is when we, the, the, how joy is produced in a person's life is when somebody looks at us and they love us so much they have a twinkle in their eye, it produces joy in us. And when God looks at you, there's a twinkle in his eye. He loves you. He cares about you. You, you are, you are so important to the Lord. He loves you. Every moment he thinks of you. 
You know, he's, he's so wild about you. But when you read about Matthew 13, the treasure in the field, the treasure is not you. That chapter is about the kingdom of God. The treasure in the field is not you. You're not the treasure. He's the treasure. The treasure of heaven, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, He's the treasure. And when we realize how great and how grand He is, we realize that He is the anointed Messiah. We realize that He is the Christ prophesied in the Old Testament. We realize that He is the grand creator of all things. We realize that Jesus is the eternal Son of God and who He is and that He loves us and He came to redeem us. When we realize that who He is, we are to give everything to follow Him. And then it says the kingdom of God is like a merchant, a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found a pearl of great price, he sold everything to get that pearl. This was a guy obsessed with pearls. He's trying to find the right pearl. He's looking for something. And he he looks at pearls. He can never find the right pearl. Like my dad looked at the pearl, had a boat, had this and had that, had the horses. That was another pearl. It's not getting it, not getting it. And then when he heard the gospel and then he's sitting in our living room when he's 33 years old, working at DuPont's pipe fitter. You know, we went to church on Easter and Christmas, rather they, you know, we were there. We were faithful people Christmas and Easter. We were there. I'm sure the pastor just like wanted to pee his pants when he saw us show up, you know. I didn't mean to say that. I apologize for that. And that will be taken out of the. My dad started reading the Bible because his Sunday school class, he was supposed to teach and he didn't know nothing about the Bible. He didn't know squat about the Bible. He didn't know nothing. And they started asking him questions. And he was a, you know, typical Sussex County man, ego. He's not going to be caught not having the answer. So he started reading the Bible to get answers. And as you read in the Bible, the Holy Spirit speaks to him and begins to weep in our living room. He's not in church. Billy Graham's not preaching. Just the Bible, a living room, and the Holy Spirit. And my 33-year-old dad at that point got down on his knees and he gave his life to Jesus. He found the pearl of great price and we sold the horses, we sold the boats, and we just quit going. We quit staying home from church on Sunday nights and watching the FBI. We went and we, we went to church on Sunday nights with the Methodists. We had enough on Sunday morning. But we went to the Nazarene church on Sunday night because we wanted more. There was a hunger. Given everything because he found the pearl of great price. You think about this, this prophet Haggai, and he comes and he says, and he says it gently. He says it lovingly. He's not beating them down. He's not saying, you're a bunch of losers, because he knows they're discouraged. He knows they tried. They came back with good, uh, they came back with good intentions. 
They built an altar like Abraham did when he came in the land. They, they laid the foundation. They're blowing the trumpets. They were sincere. But then the political officials and the, all the stuff began to happen. And, and listen, let me just say to you, in America, in this country, in the Western world, as we kind of continue to follow Jesus, the time could come when there could be more and more opposition toward people that really want to follow Jesus. Last Sunday, I talked to a lady that was here from Sweden that's in our church. Or not in our church, but she watches us online. She's probably watching us online now. And and her family from Sweden, and she said 5%, 5% of people in Sweden go to church on Sunday. That's 2% less than go to church in Germany. In the Western world, in the Western world, it may become uncomfortable to be a follower of Jesus. It may be more popular to be something else than it is to be a Christian. And if you feel that a little bit, hey, listen, it's easy to get discouraged and feel like you're like the only one. But how many know that while you're discouraged, the Lord had a mission for you to build his kingdom, to build his kingdom. And, to, and, and he said, you know, hey, thank God for your paneled houses. That's, that's great. You really shouldn't be stealing the temple material to do that. But it's time to put your eyes back on the temple. It's time to put your eyes back on what should be center of your life. And the temple was in the center of the city. And those people from the east, the west, the north, and the south, they all came into the center of the city around the temple again. And they began to rebuild that temple. And in four years, they rebuilt the temple. And some of the people, some of the people that were the old people in the group, how many, how many old people here today? You're, you're, you, use, you use Ben Gay this week. Just raise your hand. You're old people. You've been around. How many have been around the church for 30, 40 years? Maybe not this church, some church. You've been around a while. You know what the old people did in the second chapter of Haggai? When they saw the temple, they began to weep because it was too little. It wasn't as big as the old temple. It wasn't as grand as the old temple. It wasn't, didn't have as much gold as the old temple. They didn't have any money. It was a little temple, and they wept at it. And Haggai says, you think, are you sad because this little temple, and it looks smaller than it used to look? Are you sad because of that? He said, don't be sad because the glory of this temple is greater than the latter temple because it was that temple that Jesus walked into it was that temple that Herod expanded on, the second temple that Jesus showed up at and ministered in. And God is rebuilding something. He's rebuilding something very, very special. He's rebuilding something very, very instrumental in our times. And you are a part of building a temple. You're a part of building a new way of doing church. You're a part of people that are saying, listen, we're going to center our lives around Jesus. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to love him. We're going to go from church. We're going to memorize scripture. We're going to pray together. We're going to join small groups in the fall. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to be in church worshiping the Lord. We're going to be singing so loud that Corey loses his place while he's leading worship up here. I mean, I look for the day when you're singing so loud and so passionately for the Lord that the band, they just quit playing because they can't hear themselves because you're so excited for the Lord. Can you say a big amen? The glory of the new temple will be greater than the glory of the latter temple. 
megachurches in America, one of my favorite megachurches in Atlanta, Georgia, last week had one service. They had tons of services before, you know, these, uh, you know, pastor celebrities and all that stuff. Hey, those days are, are waning. The focus is going to be on Jesus in these days. God is going to rebuild a new temple. And it says that the people listened to Haggai the prophet. Haggai said, listen, I know you're discouraged. And it's okay when you get discouraged. It's okay when you get discouraged. And Haggai understood why they were discouraged. I heard this week about this Gary Hamlick I uh, listened to one of his sermons on the book of Haggai. He pastors a nice church down in Leesburg, Virginia, uh, Cornerstone Chapel. He said when he was first a Christian, he came to, um, you know, started going to church. And he said there was this lady in the church that came in, and she was so ostentatious. I mean, she had the big beehive hairdo. She had, she had rings on every finger. She had a dress that was always two sizes too small, and she, he said, makeup on her face that would make an undertaker jealous. And he just couldn't stand this lady. And one day he's in church, and she comes in with her family, came, comes in late all the time, makes that ostentatious display, and sits in front of him, and he thought, oh, great. We're going to have meet and greet, and I've got to shake her hand. And he said, I hated meet and greet anyhow. And it was meet and greet, turn around and greet somebody. And he said, he turned around, and this lady began to explain to him, I'm sorry, I know you think I'm over the top. And she reached out his, her hand to shake his hand, and that's when he saw the numbers on her arm that she had been Austowich, and they put those numbers on her arm to indicate, you know, what number she was and in the concentration camp. And she said to herself, if I ever get out of this place, I'll never dress in rags again. How many understand that? And Haggai understood why they were discouraged. He understand why they were putting money and focus on their temple, on, on, their, on their paneled houses while they neglected the temple. He knew why they were doing that. They were discouraged. But Haggai said, listen, come on. The Lord's with you, Zerubbabel. The Lord's with you, Joshua. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Get back to building. And they started building, and they started building. And four years later, the temple was completed, and they worshiped the Lord in that temple. They got back on track. And where they had been so empty before, you know, their hearts were empty. They were trying to live for themselves. They were trying to survive. They were trying to build their paneled houses. And the more they did, God blew it out. They were empty, empty, empty. But when that temple and the glory of the Lord came in that temple, they were filled again. We can never be full of the Lord if we haven't completely embraced his kingdom and made it the center of our kingdom. Christianity does not work as an add-on. You add Jesus to your life, yeah, I don't feel much. It's not... Uh, but when you make Jesus the center of your life and you worship the Lord, 
I, this week I called my dad. It was uh, checked on him. You know, he got saved, you know, when he was 33. He's 85 years old now. And my dad's a widower and he's, you know, has a wonderful life and a lot of good friends. And, uh, you know, he's has to have a little help getting up now and all that. And I said, Dad, Dad, how you doing? What have you been doing today? It's one of those rainy days, you know, sitting home by yourself as a widower. That's got to be hard. And I thought about him in that house. And, you know, he's watched every Andy Griffith episode there is. And I know even as good as Andy Griffith is, it's got to get boring after a while. You know what I mean? I said, Dad, what do you do today? He said, well, we, I rode around a little bit. I went out to the church. And I just walked around the church and I prayed just walked around the church and I spent time with the Lord and he just he's just got the joy of the Lord in the midst of one of the darkest seasons of his life you see when when the Lord is the center and the temple is the center and we revolve our lives around that instead of around our paneled houses when the Lord is the center the joy of the Lord is our strength you say, you know, Pastor Danny, do I have to give up all the stuff I'm doing? And I have to give up my, you know, my camper and all that? Absolutely not. You know, Karen and I, we love that. We got this camper thing called, you know, Holiday Inn and Marriott. It's our <laughs> We have a camper named Marriott. That's the name of our camper. And the name of our boat is our friend's boat. That's the best boat to have. <laughs> And we have friends that take us out on boats. We, we did a boat ride the other, oh, a couple, about a month ago that we were down in Florida. And uh, we had a, a real rich guy down there just drove us and a bunch of people around just for hours in the Gulf of Mexico. We had the best time. So that's the best boat to have. It's wonderful. But do I have to, I have to give all that up? Well, the first thing is giving up for Jesus is an oxymoron. Because here's what Jim Elliott said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. The best days of my life were when I was the poorest. The best days of my life was when I was 21, 22 years old, living in Pensacola, Florida, studying the Bible with a bunch of to-be missionaries, to-be pastors, and we didn't have any money, and we, didn't ha we lived in these little rundown houses, and we went to school, and we went to small groups, and we went to all-night prayer meetings on Friday night, and we didn't have anything. Our cars were ratty. Everything was m just not good, but there was a group of people that had come from all over the world that were going to study to serve the Lord, and we prayed together, and we sought the Lord, and, and everything revolved around the temple. I was so full, so full. And then I came here, and this is no, this is no uh, reflection on you or this community, but when I came here, I could tell you my first three weeks in the church, I realized that people's lives did not revolve around the temple. People's lives revolved around everything else. And all of a sudden, the spiritual atmosphere that I was used to I began to feel a dearth and dryness because everybody was building their paneled houses. Everybody was taking care of their stuff. Everybody was getting more stuff. And, and, and they were coming in to talk to me for counseling because they were empty. But when you place the Lord in the center of your life and you make him number one, and you realize that this is the pearl 
this is the pearl of great price, and I give everything to follow this pearl. Then joy fills our hearts. And I, I have to tell you, and I'm, I'm like three minutes over, almost four minutes over, but let me just say this to you. That always means I'm going to say more when I say that. <laughs> that's, a, that's like the clock doesn't mean anything. It does mean something, but I'm going to just I'm going to say this to you. These are exciting times. You are exciting people. You here this morning. And those of you that are in Femic Island, those of you that are, that are part of what we're doing here, this is exciting. You're the 50,000 that left Babylon. You come back and you said, listen, we're going to build the house of the Lord. We're going we're to put our life around the Lord. And we're going to see in the next years to come, the next two years, next three years, next four years, greater things than we've ever seen before because of God's glory. In every campus, God's going to do incredible things. I want to ask you to lift your hands to the Lord, to let the Lord fill you in a fresh way, to let your focus be redirected to where it needs to be redirected. Holy Spirit is moving in these days, the Spirit of the Lord. These are the most exciting times to ever live. God sent his people into exile. He's brought back a remnant of people. He says, we're going to build the kingdom of God. We're going to build the temple. Our lives are going to be about Jesus. At our Rehoboth and uh, Fenwick Island campus right now, the Lord's doing something special at this moment in every campus. Lord, we sense your spirit. We sense your grace. We sense your power. We sense your anointing. We sense that this is a new day, that this is a day when you're taking our eyes off the things it needs to be taken off of, and you're putting it back on the temple of the Lord. We worship you, Lord. Just say this with me. With your hands lifted up, say, Lord, I surrender my deepest self to you. Forgive me, Lord. And I repent of putting my heart in a place it doesn't belong. I seek you first, Lord, your kingdom and your righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. As your heads are bowed and your eyes closed, it was 1873 that David Livingston, the great missionary in Africa, died. And he loved that country so much that when he died, for his body was shipped back to England, carried by natives through the jungle to get back to the ports. They cut his heart out and they buried it in Africa because that's where his heart was. His heart was in Africa. His heart was not in England. Father God, our heart is in your kingdom. Our heart is in your church. Our heart is in you, Lord. Our heart is in following you. Lord, our heart is in your kingdom, Lord. Not in the kingdom of this world that's being shaken, that every political, everything around us is being shaken. But we thank you that our heart is in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we ask for your spirit to encourage your people today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. 
A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.